Tony Katz. This is Kendall and Casey. The Amber and Nigel Show. All right, well, when does your show start? Do we know? I feel like I've been promoting this for nine years now. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening. I'm Tony Kinnett. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. For those of you who are listening right now, make sure you check out the podcast. You can find that over on Apple Podcasts under, you guessed it, the Tony Kinnett Cast. There's a lot to get to, and it's not getting any less tense, so we'd better dig in while we still have time. A constitutional crisis is gripping the country in the heart of Texas. Along the southern border, federal officials are trying to scoop up barbed wire as quick as they can after Greg Abbott ordered the Texas National Guard and the Texas government uh, to stem the incredible flow of illegal immigrants upwards of 300,000 per month, many of whom include cartel members, Mexican gang members, Azerbaijani terrorists, perhaps, uh, and not to mention Chinese and Iranian nationals on the terror watch list that are streaming over the border into Texas, putting Texan lives at risk. Uh, The Supreme Court ruled after the federal government sued. They're really grumpy uh, that Biden, uh, excuse me, that Abbott would have the gall uh, to string razor wire or barbed wire across several open areas to deter uh, migrants crossing the border, migrants, illegal immigrants crossing the border, uh, breaking American and Texan law. So Biden's administration asked the Supreme Court if they could uh, order Border Patrol to pick up the barbed wire. After all, the federal government has been acting as the supreme authority over international borders, uh, despite some uh, conflicting language in the United States Constitution. And the Supreme Court ruled five to four, with Amy Coney Barrett and John Roberts defecting to side with the libs that, yes, the federal government could pick up barbed wire that was placed by the Texas National Guard and the Texas state government. Uh, they did not, however, share uh, that um, the Texas government couldn't uh, keep slapping barbed wire right on down. And if you're wondering what the situation at the border has looked like since that decision, here you go. You can actually see uh, a large backo uh, pulling up the barbed wire and uh, yep there's immigrants just lined up going right underneath it and entering the country uh, no port of entry uh, extremely illegal and they're just letting them in I mean you literally have points at the border in which no one is doing any I mean everyone is standing there watching as all of these illegal immigrants are just waltzing into the country And as media go up and speak to these individuals, we are finding that they, again, might be individuals on the terror watch list. Members of MS-13, the Sinaloa cartel, who are pumping fentanyl, which is killing hundreds of thousands of Americans, who are trafficking women and children, who are often beaten and raped and sold as sex slaves, which might trouble you if you're not Bill Clinton. And the federal government has just decided to treat this as Biden's open border policy. This is just this is Biden just doing whatever he wants. And the only proposition that Democrats have put forward is to increase the amount of immigrants into the country. That's their solution. Not to stop illegal immigration and then decide what to do, but to just make it easier for people to immigrate. Nothing else. And in fact, Biden has ordered border patrol not to you know patrol the border but to drive vans and buses up to the border pick up migrants and then give them food housing and shelter and not just in places like new york 
and not just in places like Chicago, uh, which had originally advertised themselves as sanctuary cities. Uh, We'll talk a little bit later in the show about why that's going downhill real quick. But you're also seeing places like uh, North Carolina. High schools in North Carolina, according to Libby Emmons over at the Post Millennial, have cited that they are closing schools in North Carolina to make room for migrants uh, to stay in uh, the classrooms of children. So, so during COVID, your kids couldn't be in the classroom because they might come home and kill grandma. Uh, now, uh, kids can't go to school because we have to house the migrants, which might include cartel members that could kill grandma. So uh, just an incredible state in the United States right now. But uh, Governor Abbott is not just going to take this lying down, nor is the Texan government. Uh, As of today, Governor Abbott has declared an official invasion and a state of emergency in Texas and has invoked Texas constitutional authority to defend and protect itself. Here's a little of what that looks like. By the way, this is one of the reasons that you should watch the live stream on YouTube.com slash WIBC or over on Twitter X at 93WIBC. We've got a lot of great videos and graphics. A lot of the other shows on the station don't have, and we like to make sure that you can see those. So Governor Abbott today on the 24th announced that the federal government has broken the compact between the United States and its states. The executive branch of the United States, Abbott says, has a constitutional duty to enforce federal laws protecting the states, including immigration laws on the books right now. Uh, He cites the framers, including Article 4, Section 4, which promises that the federal government shall protect each state against invasion, end quote, and Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which acknowledges the state's sovereign interest in protecting their borders, end quote. Uh, Because Governor Abbott has announced that the federal government has failed to uphold its duty to protect the citizens of the United States residing under the jurisdiction of the state of Texas, he says, we're going to do it. And he's right. He is definitively correct. The federal government does not, no government in the United States has the authority to ignore laws. There's not a one. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why the current Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett and the at once possible Indianapolis Mayor Jefferson Shreve were and are complete idiots. You can't decide just willy-nilly that you're going to uphold some laws you agree with and, and not uphold laws that you don't. Because laws that are passed are considered the best interest or are considered in the best interest of those in that jurisdiction. So when you don't enforce those laws, you put those people at risk. Now, Democrats around the media and Congress that are still siding with Biden, which is a smaller number every day, are claiming that Republicans are calling uh, Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas out because they don't like this policy position. But that's not the case. You can't not uphold laws and call that a policy position. I can't put your life at risk. I can't not do my duty to uphold the Constitution of the United States and then just say, oh, everything's fine. After all, it's just a policy position. That's just how I interpret the law. And so this will end up going back to the Supreme Court. Uh, A lot of individuals are encouraging Texas to hold the line. And by the way, this is the constitutional crisis. Uh, The constitutional crisis is not the fact that the Supreme Court made a ruling. It's not the fact that the executive branch has filed injunctions to enact certain border policies against the interests of Texas citizens. It's you currently have a situation in which objectively, Texas citizens and the citizens of the United States at large lives are at risk and have been lost due to a migratory invasion. 
that is unfettered and unchecked by Mexico, which, by the way, is an act of war by the government of Mexico. And you're in a situation in which the governor Abbott of Texas has a responsibility to protect his citizens. Nothing the Supreme Court can do can erase the constitutional rights of Americans. Nothing the executive branch can do can erase the constitutional rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness of Texans in the state of Texas. Governor Abbott not only has the right, but the responsibility to ensure that the Texas border is protected. You don't just get to willy-nilly craft policy because you think that, well, I really don't want to be mean to illegal migrants, and after all, someone could trip in the barbed wire and hurt themselves. You don't have a right to put American citizens in danger. That's not a radical position. That is something that everyone on the left and right in this country understood until about 1992, when things started going downhill because we started talking about broad interest socioeconomic policy-based politics. Up next, we're going to be talking about College Fix's article in which Indiana University might be trying to uh, subvert state law regarding the defunding of the pedophilic Kinsey Institute. And absolutely none of that is hyperbolic. Stick around. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. This is the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Welcome back to oh, and welcome back to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Indiana University and being really weird about sex. They go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly, uh, like really bad policies and uh, really liberal universities. Uh, joining us to chat about that uh, today is Matt Lamb of the College Fix. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks for having me on. So, first of all, break down uh, just... I know we can really dig into a a lot of things regarding IU and the Kinsey Institute. First of all, tell us what the Kinsey Institute is and uh, why it gives some people some concerns. So the Kinsey Institute is named after Alfred Kinsey. Um, Your listeners may have heard that name in a, you know, intro to psychology class. And he did a lot of weird sex research, um, you know, a long, long time ago, but the Kinsey Institute, you know, has a lot of his records and also continues his legacy, so to speak, uh, so, so to speak. And, you know, one of the things Kinsey did is he would interview pedophiles, for example, about their sexual tendencies. He, uh, you know, overemphasized or overcalculated um, the percentage of the population years ago that uh, were, were homosexual. And, uh, you know, this is housed at Indiana University in Bloomington. The employees use Indiana University resources. It's in an Indiana University building. They have IU emails. And, uh, and that has drawn some criticism for really decades um, because of the Kinsey Institute's history and Alfred Kinsey's history. Right. And especially given that some of these experiments and studies and research that came from good old Alfred um, led some to draw conclusions that might have come from uh, child experimentation, um, possibly kind of a Pavlovian approach to uh, if a child is touched in this way a number of times, then can you get them to respond uh, asymptomatically? Very, very creepy stuff. Right. Just really disturbing things that are associated. And the Indiana legislature agreed. Uh, so the Indiana legislature cut funding from the Kinsey Institute, and uh, I, th- I believed threatened to cut funding from Indiana University if they continued to associate 
uh, with Kinsey as part of its its mainline group. Am, am I correct in, in remembering that? I don't remember if they agreed to if, if they were going to take away all funding, but exactly. So the budget passed last summer said that no state funds can go to supporting the Kinsey Institute. Right, right now. The Kinsey Institute has not answered our colleagues' questions about how they're operating. Um, but for an article uh, recently, we, you know, we, we calculated that um, you know they're in, uh, an office in Lindley Hall, and that if you wanted a similar rent for about a twelve-person office, which is roughly how many employees are at Kinsey, that would be about four thousand dollars per month. That doesn't include security provided, uh, you know, internet, other amenities that come with being in a university building. And the building is still open, so they have to be getting the money from somewhere. Right. So they're in an office within an IU building. And like, you know, as I mentioned, if they're paying a, a fair market rate, uh, you know, they, that, that alone, that's a subsidy of at least $50,000 a year. So Absolutely. what the, yeah, so what the university is doing is the university, which is publicly funded, said the university is going to set up a nonprofit entity to run, to, to absorb some of the costs. How that doesn't violate the clear language of the law is, is unclear. And every time we've asked Kinsey, they basically defer to the university for comment who, who won't respond. Obviously, university attorneys who are paid for by taxpayers setting up an entity and running it in some fashion violates violates the law. And that's what conservative groups were, were critical of the Kinsey Institute for, as we, as we covered recently at the College Fix. Absolutely. We're on with Matt Lamb of The College Fix talking about an article by Hudson Crozier of the University of North Texas. The Indiana University Kinsey Institute is still open and kicking despite the state refusing funding a very weird pedophilic sex uh, research institute. Um, and none of that, by the way, at, as a form of exaggeration at all. Um, that's not me just trying to throw clickbait and make a topic sound more interesting. The subjects and research that Alfred Kinsey uh, that um, that Alfred Kinsey brought forward did involve putting children at sexual risk in both his interviews of pedophiles and also in the Pavlovian nature of the research uh, on children and how they express sexuality. And I'm not talking about teenagers, although that would still be gross. I'm talking about children between the ages of four and 11. Uh, so some really creepy stuff that the Indiana University Science Department, I guess, feels that it needs to hold on to. The problem that I have here, and maybe you can help me out, Indiana University is a public-funded institution, at least in part, yes? Right. So, therefore, if I, as a taxpayer, let's say I pay taxes to the state of Indiana, which uh, the last time I checked my driver's license and my taxes every April, I do. So, um, as a taxpayer, I should be able to call an organization that I'm funding, and I should be able to ask questions and get a straight answer. D does that make sense? Let's just say in theory. Absolutely. And as an Indiana resident myself, I, I couldn't agree more. Right. But so the problem is that when the college fix, uh, whether that's you or one of your other individuals, calls a taxpayer funded institution and ask questions about how this organization is open, what they're doing, um, you get sent to a lawyer to give you these very pre-prepared and vague statements uh, and often just kind of ghosting you and leaving you in some forlorn inbox of someone who's been on paternity leave for three and a half decades. So the question I ask is that, do you think if this is a issue that the legislature maybe needs to look into kind of for all institutions, whether it's IU, Purdue, Indiana, Wesleyan, Taylor, if you take state money of any kind, no more giving lawyer answers. Uh, is that a good start to getting some answers here? 
Well, I, I would say, you know, the legislature should come back and we've been disappointed in past efforts to get further comment from the Indiana Republican legislators, uh, Representative Sweet, for example, to get more information on our, how are they going to enforce this. And then the attorney general's office said, you know, they told us our jurisdiction does include nonprofits, but there's nothing to provide at this point. But their I'm jurisdiction sure does include Indiana University in- still, who is assisting in i mean do you have on record that they are assisting in setting up a nonprofit? sure so the board of trustees is voting on is considering this attempt to set up a nonprofit. i mean it's in their minutes they have a meeting next february um and also it's, it's fairly public knowledge because if you go to the kinsey institute website it's at i you know it's it's iu email addresses it's it's at indiana university right and the attorney general absolutely I don't even care if they have jurisdiction over nonprofits. They have jurisdiction to enforce state law. And if there's a stipulation in a state law that says this cannot happen, and it's very clear it is happening, they need to they need to look into it and respond. Absolutely. I mean, th- this is this is the situation that I I get really concerned with. Whether it's and and I don't know whatever happened in this conversation with the attorney general's office. I'm thinking more along the lines of. Uh, hauling in administrators before a committee in the House or in the Indiana Senate. And again, because they determine the budget, the the legislature has authority over um, university structure in state universities. That's why they are, folks, state universities. The name comes with strings. Who would have thought? We're on with Matt Lamb of the College Fix. Uh, The question that I have coming out of this is do you see I, I've noticed a lot of left wing publications in the state that have been popping up under the guise of <clears throat> nonprofit organizations. Uh, I see a lot of failed businesses that are kind of leaping into nonprofit land. And now we have schools um, that are basically taking failed measures and then hopping into nonprofit land to kind of keep them from the public eye. Do you see nonprofits as kind of becoming the next tool of outreach for shady enterprise or you know am i just kind of reading this wrong no let let me comment specifically as applies to universities which is more my uh you know area area of knowledge is that universities including purdue as well also funded by our taxpayer dollars that should be going to increased uh child tax credits for us tony um purdue sets up a foundation and they run things through the foundation that can't be touched by public records law now by the, the 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 rules of the foundation the chair of their board is also always the president of purdue and so mm-hmm. indiana university is doing something similar there have been positive court rulings out of kentucky and illinois that have told other foundations for universities that they can't just use a foundation to skirt public record law. Um, But to your point, at least as it applies to universities, this is a common tactic to set up a nonprofit called the IU Foundation, the Purdue University Foundation, um, that completely works to advance Purdue's mission or IU's mission, but then is outside of the bounds, allegedly, of public record law. So, Matt, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a bill for you. It's, it's exactly one page. In fact, it's one sentence. And uh, I think that a legislator should pass this tomorrow. Put it on the floor. It should say this verbatim. Any individual who is employed by a nonprofit, which is also employed by a taxpayer-funded institution, brings about the consequence of said nonprofit organization being subject to the same public records law as the institution, which is taxpayer funded, that the individual is employed to. 
clean it up, slide it through Grammarly. But this seems like an easy fix. I mean, I'm sorry. Like if you have it just because if I again, if I run, let's pick a school district out of nowhere. If I run uh, Pendleton, I run South, you know, Madison School Corporation and I'm on the board there. I'm a teacher there and I'm also part of a nonprofit. And there's a question over whether some things are connected. Public uh, transparency laws should apply. Make sense? I, I agree. And the fact they use the university's name is clear. If I set up a restaurant called Mitch Daniels Purdue Restaurant, I mean, this, the university's copyright attorneys would be over me so fast that, you know, I'd have to get another job. Um, and, and so absolutely, they're using the university name. They're representing themselves as promoting the university's work. And so I think they should be subject to, to, to public records law. And, and as you mentioned, what are the? I don't understand what the communications people do all day if they're not answering questions from from journalists because it seems mm. like that's what they're paid to do. That's a very good question, Matt Lamb from the College Fix, talking about Indiana University trying to keep the Kinsey Institute alive. Stick around; you are listening to the Tony Kinnicast on ninety three WIBC. This is the Tony Kinnicast on ninety three WIBC. Good evening and welcome back to the Tony Kinnicast on 93 WIBC. You can also find us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. Make sure to leave us a review. It really helps the show out. Uh, of course, being on at 7 p.m. every evening does give us a few privileges that some of the other shows here at WIBC on the Daily do not have. And that is an update that was sent to me just a few minutes ago. Uh, Texas Democrat Congressman uh, Joaquin Castro and Congressman Greg Cesar have uh, both posted uh, calling for President Biden um, to uh, reestablish sole federal control of the Texas National Guard. So because Greg Abbott is putting up barbed wire and using the Texas National Guard to protect their constituents, to protect citizens of the state of Texas, and uh, also those of us who would be getting those uh, illegal immigrants by the bucket load, uh, Joaquin Castro said, Governor Greg Abbott is using the Texas National Guard to obstruct and create chaos at the border, uh, which is objectively not true. Uh, He says, if Abbott is defying yesterday's Supreme Court ruling, the president needs to establish sole federal control of the Texas National Guard now. And then uh, Congressman Greg Cesar uh, agrees. Um, The Supreme Court's order is that the federal government can pick up barbed wire. There is no Supreme Court order that says Texas cannot keep laying the barbed wire down. But it is concerning, uh, mainly because President Biden so far has been completely silent. Now, we are at a point in Biden's administration where this isn't exactly a shock. I'm not exactly a concern to anybody that Biden has been kind of quiet because most of the country and when I mean most, I mean, 99.9 percent of the country understands that Biden is not running the country. He has severe onset dementia. Uh, It is not in an early stage. He cannot walk anywhere. Um, It is very clear that he is on every kind of anti Alzheimer or dementia medication that we can provide. Um, He cannot finish full sentences at the best of times. And in this constitutional crisis, this is usually when you would expect a president to step in and give some clear direction and comfort to the country because there are fears that are starting to be whipped up on both sides of the aisle. Um, Biden isn't because Biden is bad. He is really, really bad. Take a look at this. This was Tuesday night last night in Virginia. You can see just how bad he's gotten. We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. 
Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. Now, um, you may not have understood what President Biden was trying to say there. Uh, even the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, um, in her endless sympathy for President Biden, has not uh, shed any light on what he was supposed to mean. Uh, you'll get the benefit for messing with women's right. I, no one knows what that means at all. President Biden, in his only appearance of the day, cannot even get straight sentences out that are typed out for him on the teleprompter. And, and by the way, allow me to show you what it looks like when President Biden tries to read the teleprompter. This was today at the United Auto Workers Union Conference. Um, here he is trying to list auto manufacturers. Because of you, Toyota, Volkswagen, Nissan, Tulsa, all gave their workers double-digit rates. Um, Tulsa. Uh, if you met Tesla, cool. Uh, but uh, Tesla is not um, a, a unionized. Uh, so kind of weird there. Uh, no, that's not because of the UAW. Um, but if you did mean Tulsa, as in the second largest city in Oklahoma, um, congratulations to Elon Musk, I guess, for founding a, a city in Oklahoma. Um, oh, dear God. And look, I understand that, that the other day that uh, Trump said Nikki Haley when he meant to say Nancy Pelosi. And look, sometimes people do have gaffes. They do. Uh, occasionally, I say the wrong thing. The other night on the program, I said five months of investigation from Butler University instead of three months. That was misspeaking because in my original article, I wrote that they had not gotten back to the college GOP for five weeks. And so I got my wires crossed. Everyone gets their wires crossed. That's true. And if this were the only time President Biden had a gaffe like this, then, then sure, okay. I would not be up in arms, nor would the majority of the country. The problem is, this is every single time the president speaks. Every time, every single event, you can count on there being a gaffe. In fact, there are so many Biden gaffes that people from Reddit to Twitter to uh, the open streets are starting to make jokes about how many times Republicans notice that Biden is making a gaffe. That's how consistent it is that old gum gums in the White House can't get a full sentence out. It's embarrassing. And the media's attempts to make it look like Trump's the real dementia patient. Oh, because he said Nikki Haley instead of Nancy Pelosi. By the way, when they asked Nancy Pelosi about Trump uh, switching the two names accidentally, Nancy Pelosi then started talking about President Biden uh, as making mistakes. So... Um, j just super duper stuff all, all around. Just chef's kiss performance from the Democrats today around the country. There is genuinely one reason and one reason alone that despite Biden's clear, evident dementia. And by the way, I spent a lot of time around my grandfather who had dementia. And as he got into the later throes of it in uh, 2008 through 2011, um, I saw the exact same things that I saw in President Biden. By the way, if you play Trump in 2016 um, and before then when he was on The Apprentice and then you play clips of Trump now, he sounds the exact same. When you play a clip of Biden in 2016, 2015, compared to now, it is like two completely different people. Biden is on death's door mentally. And that is a horrible, horrible thing. But you might ask, well, then why, why is Biden still in the White House? You're listening to the Tony Kinnacast here on 93 WIBC, and that, that's the question. Why keep Biden in the White House if you're a Democrat? And there are two reasons. Number one, there are a lot of Democrats who are trusting Biden beat Trump once before he can do it again. That's, that's half of it, is that they think, well, Biden, he, he's done it before, so if we just run the exact same campaign as we ran in 2020, we can do it again. The problem is that isn't going to work. 
Number two, they say kindly old moderate grandfather eating ice cream is really good for running a campaign. And that was what Biden did in 2020. He ran as the kindly old moderate that was going to unify the country and just bring us all together. And it would be like a return to like Bill Clinton era Democrat politics. Um, Only there's an issue with that. Uh, The mask fell off. The mask fell off. It's it's not it's not going to work this time yet again. Uh, it, It ain't happening, folks. Biden got in the White House and then governed like an extreme progressive. He has governed with open borders that now has a state up in arms, literally. He has ruined the United States economy. The housing market is right about to crash. It has been described in several outlets as a slow moving train wreck as of today. And the world is completely on fire. And this leads to what could be Democrats' real issue here in 24, because a lot of my fellow hosts and a lot of people around the country have been asking, well, you know, are the Democrats going to try some crazy stuff like they did in 2020? And, and, you know, are we going to see a repeat? And the answer is no, because there is a much more significant issue that Republicans faced last time that now Democrats are going to face. And we're going to go into it in detail because we have to. Otherwise, well, you're going to you're going to miss all the fun. So get the popcorn. Don't leave. We'll be right back at the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. It's the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Tony Kinnett cast on 93 WIBC. You've guessed it. I'm Tony Kinnett. And uh, boy, it has been a wild whirlwind of a day. As my friend Logan Hall from The Blaze pointed out, uh, you have decades where nothing happens. And then you have a few weeks where decades feel like they happen. And that's certainly what's going on right now, because in this critical election of 2024, the Democrats have a very serious problem. See, there's this silly concept that a lot of people believe in that the United States presidential elections are made up of like 20 percent Republicans, 20 percent Democrats, and then 60 percent independent swing voters who are convinced every single election who they're going to vote for. And that's not true. That's like your Disney high school teachers best interpretation show you on a video of how the country works. And it hasn't worked like that in a very, very, very long time. Um, The Republican National Committee and the Democrat National Committee have established large base swaths. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It does outline a political problem foundationally for the country. Uh, But the Democrats have a very significant issue going into 2024. The issue is that In modern elections, it's not, can you get a lot of independents out to vote for you? It's, can you get people in general to come out and enthusiastically support your candidate at the polls? How do you drive people there? Uh, A lot of people in 2020 think that people came out to the polls to vote against Donald Trump. And that's not true. The problem in 2020 is that a lot of the Republican Party stayed home. And a lot of the Democrat Party came out and a lot of the country just kind of sat that one out. Whereas in this election, the opposite is likely to happen. You actually need to encourage a lot of the factions of the Democrat Party to get out and vote for Joe Biden. And the issue is 
Biden's really starting to lose his grip on what were traditionally some really bedrock foundational places uh, that the Democrat Party loved to romp through. Uh, The U.A. president said that he's backing Biden, uh, but as many other U.A.W. members and officials have pointed out, the economy approval rating is at an all time low. And a lot of U.A.W. members are probably going to end up voting Trump, even if they vote blue for the rest of the ticket. This is true uh, from a lot of members that I spoke to on the UAW picket line at the Ford Assembly plant in Allison or excuse me, in Clinton Township, north of Detroit. Uh, who told me very emphatically that uh, when Trump was in office, he may be an a-hole, but there was food on the table and money in my pocket. That was what young one uh, young black lady who said that she votes a Democrat everywhere else, but she'll vote for Trump again. And this is a severe problem for Democrats because Trump is not super big demon man to come vote against. All that voters are seeing is Biden's failed policies. Case in point, this was uh, by the Daily Mail today. Um, Black Chicago Democrats are suing uh, Mayor Johnson for housing migrants, illegal migrants, you know, the ones we were talking about earlier on in the show, in a park that they call the crown jewel of their community. And so far, they are winning. So now even Democrats in New York and Chicago as well as other inner city areas are filing lawsuits against their own party and the Democrat controlled federal government because they are not really a huge fan of seeing all of the community resources going to illegal migrants. Now, the the smarter of the individuals out there, the more analytical of the individuals out there might be saying, you know, maybe don't vote for Democrats at all. And that's true. But don't put the cart before the horse. The key problem for Democrats in 2024 is they're not going to be able to get as many people as they think out to vote. Trump voters are already coming out, as we saw in Iowa and New Hampshire. Nikki Haley was only able to get a fraction of Republicans to vote for her, while 70 percent, according to most major polls, 70 percent of people that voted for Nikki Haley were independents and Democrats. Donald Trump beat his record for votes in New Hampshire and carried the primary. It was not an amazing night for Nikki Haley at all. And this is a huge warning bell siren for Democrats. Is that Trump on a primary night with some Republicans beat Republicans and independents and Democrats. No one's coming out to vote against Trump. These voters that you've crafted are not real. And that's a significant issue. Um, In 2020, Trump was on the ballot. A, a referendal election is always a, ref, a referendum election, a.k.a. the first term into the second term, is always an election that is based on a critique of the first term. So in, in 2004, it was a critique on Bush's first term. In 2012, it was a critique on Obama's first term, which is why Obama went so heavy into social and racial dynamics, because now he had to cite why the real problem that the economy didn't grow as it should have in 2008 through 2012. And so it became a referendum on Obama's social progress, and it ended up working. The referendum on Trump in 2020 succeeded for Joe Biden because Joe Biden ran as a moderate, friendly old grandpa from a basement and just pointed at Trump and said, this man is chaos. I'm going to unite the country. And it worked. It barely worked, but it worked. The media covered for him when he made some big boo-boos regarding Hunter Biden. And there were some serious shenanigans afoot. Uh, I know there are a lot of different opinions on whether this was uh, voting fraud or whether this was uh, more media collusion in withholding things like uh, Twitter and the New York Post. But the moral of the story is Biden can't do it again. 
He can't. There is no way that Biden can say, I'm the kindly old unifying grandpa because the mask is off. Biden's policies have screwed over the country royally. He's deeply unpopular with the right, the center, and also, by the way, the progressive left because of the college loans which he lied about and Hamas and Israel. The progressive left are angry with Joe Biden because he supported Israel initially after Hamas went in and raped a bunch of Israeli, oh, by the way, and American and German and Belgian citizens. And uh, so you've got President Biden being interrupted by progressive Democrats who may not come and vote for him. It truly is astounding. You have Democrats in both the House and the Senate that are openly criticizing the president's policies, and he's just out in front of people going on about abortion. And why is Biden speaking about abortion right now? Because Biden is popular. Here's the secret. Lean in closer to the speaker, closer to the screen. Just a second. I'm going to tell you why Biden is choosing abortion and the insurrection thing as his last good hope for running in this election, because Biden's only popular with one demographic in the entire country, suburban white women with a college degree and of those suburban white women with liberal arts degrees. So the soft sciences kind of degrees. That's who he's popular with. Suburban white women with a college degree. Hispanics are no longer coming out in droves to vote for him. I'm not just talking about whether they're voting Democrats. I mean, are Hispanics who normally staying home coming out to vote for Joe? No. Black voters are not coming out for him in favor of him. Labor Democrats without college degrees, a.k.a. the 90s Democrat unionized manufacturing base, they're not coming out. I don't care what the union bosses say. Polling in the UAW is awful for Biden. So who's coming out? And there's no answer. There's no answer. And that is the Democrats' real problem. The border crisis is only going to make it worse. You can catch a lot more content on the podcast. Make sure to subscribe there. This has been the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.